My name is Ben Turney. I'm the CEO of Kavango Resources. Kavango is a Southern African uh, metal exploration company with projects in Botswana and Zimbabwe. Today, I'm joined with uh, Dave Catterall, who is leading our KCB, that's in the Kalahari Copper Belt, our Kalahari Copper Belt exploration strategy. Ben, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, good to see you again. The last time we, we saw each other, we were actually... Um, sitting on the same side of the table, so to speak, at, a, um, at an investor conference in London. Um, but here we are, kind of pretty much a year on. T- terrible markets for the junior space. Quite a lot going on in the company. Uh, you've been working on a Botswana portfolio for a number of years. You've just added a Zimbabwean um, kind of portfolio as well. And you've just announced a capital raise. Could you just kind of give us uh, a little bit of an overview about how the um, the new portfolio in Zimbabwe came in. Absolutely. So I was first introduced to uh, an exploration geologist called Steve Smith uh, about four years ago. Um, and Steve spent three years trying to persuade me to look at various projects in Zimbabwe. And as part of my job, as you know, Merlin, from when we met at that event, uh, I do a lot of networking with investors looking to try and bring opportunities into the company. And when I first started talking to, to Steve, this was back in tw- 2019, there was no interest really in investing in Zimbabwe at all. You know, I did mention it to, to other investors and it was clear that it was a closed door at that point. Now, over the last four years, we've seen significant improvement in the metals space, so in the metal, uh, for metal prices. And while you're right, at the moment, things are very difficult in the junior market. I actually think that creates enormous opportunity because if we look at the long-term projections, both for base and precious metals, I think the current pricing discrepancy between junior exploration and and the metal prices will actually close in the favour of the junior exploration market. Now, what we've also seen in parallel to that as metal prices have improved, and there's also been, I think, quite a, a, a late recognition of the influence that the Chinese have had in this market. So the Chinese went on a huge buying spree starting in the mid-2000s up and well, and which goes on today, where they pretty much hoovered up most of the world's development projects. And I think a lot of us in the more, let's call it, advanced economies have been behind the curve on this and people really haven't woken up just to quite how much of a march the Chinese have stolen on everybody. So there's also been an increasing interest in my time as CEO of Kavango over the last two years in exploration as well. Now, in talking with Steve, I've always been very impressed with his vision and his knowledge, in particular of the Matabili Land uh, gold fields uh, in southern Zimbabwe. Um, Steve has spent 15 years here through incredibly difficult economic times, trying to get projects off the ground. But he's also, during that time, accumulated an incredible in-depth knowledge of um, the geology of the region, various individual projects and where to go prospecting. So it's always been fantastic to talk to Steve and he's been on hand to provide me with guidance. Uh, He used to be very senior at Anglo-American, so he he was involved heavily in their exploration program. So he's a a guy with a a real track record of pedigree. But over the intervening uh, period, what I noticed started to happen was a softening of attitudes towards investing in Zimbabwe which took us up to last August when I first came to this country. Now, at that point, um, I've noticed, as I say, like, there were people who were increasingly interested in Zim, and I find that today. A lot is known about the geological potential here. A lot is known about the economic potential. It's a very, very exciting province for exploration geologists to work. But, of course, the jurisdictional risk is what scares a lot of people away. So 
while there have been a lot of people who are interested um, in the country, and I do believe there's quite a lot of money on the sidelines waiting to move into Zimbabwe, no one wants to go first. It's been a case of after you, let's see how things work out with you. So I talked to the board last summer about the potential for moving into Zim. We've got our historic connection with, with Zimbabwe through Hilary Gumbo, who's one of our co-founders and one of our PLC directors. So we've already had a, a connection to Zimbabwe as a, as a company. But from August to December last year, we weighed up the possibility of, of coming into the country. And it was really from February and March this year, 2023, that we conducted two field visits. I came down on a, on a scouting visit to come and see some of the projects specifically. Then in March, um, I was joined by my fellow directors, Peter Winterby, Brett Grist and Hillary. And we went to look at the first project, which we took on in June. Thanks for the, for, for the background. I mean, the, the, the Botswana and Copper projects you've got are essentially um, early stage exploration um, in a new frontier. And um, what I know about the Zimbabwean um, greenstone belts is that there's normally an old um, there's normally an old operation there. These are uh, high grade targets. Uh, I can see from your news releases that your your um, PLs are kind of clustered around existing or old operations. Um, is this you know this is a kind of a very different model. This is a kind of a, a high grade target, gold target. You know it's it's a it's a a different beast to the uh, the copper exploration model that you've been um, pursuing in uh, in Botswana. When you when you look going forwards, you've got gold, you've got high grade gold targets and uh, large scale copper targets. What's going to be the split of your budget and your work program uh, over the next twelve months? Say so. The split of our work program and budget is roughly fifty fifty. You're quite right. So our project in uh, Botswana is is still more greenfield, more conceptual, and that's been part of the challenge that we as a business have faced. Our historic exploration to date has been an extremely challenging terrain with a lot of sand cover, a lot of sediment cover, primarily geophysics led. This is very expensive, very high risk exploration. And while we feel very confident about our, our potent, the potential in the KCB, particularly now that we're working with Dave, who will talk a bit about his background and the project's potential in the in a moment, he's, he's, he's in a far better position to, 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 to emphasize the, the sort of the, what it is we're so excited about in the KCB. In Zimbabwe, we're actually following a slightly different strategy, Merlin. Uh, it's interesting that you, you've picked up on the high-grade potential. So Zimbabwe has a reputation for having um, a very large number, over 4,000 registered mites, most of which are chasing high-grade veins from surface. But I think what a lot of people haven't really grasped yet about Zimbabwe is if you look back to the early 1980s, 1982 specifically, in that year, Zimbabwe produced more gold than Australia. If you look at the geological setting of the Zimbabwe, particularly in the south of the country, the Zimbabwean gold fields, these gold belts, and you look at the geological similarities with some of the uh, gold fields in Western Australia, from the mid-1980s onwards, um, where Zimbabwe experienced um, quite a lot of trouble post-independence or post-black majority rule, the country went through a very troubled time which hindered the development of the mining space. What you had in Australia was the bulk mining boom. So where in 40 odd years ago, Australia had lots of these historic high grade producers and high grade veins, what nobody had really looked at was the potential for bulk mining. So the material that ran in between these parallel reefs. It's our belief that a similar opportunity exists in Zimbabwe today. So the targets we're actually looking for now 
and not so much on the high grade. We're looking for lower grade, bulk mineable, ideally near a surface opportunities. And that for us is what we think is the sweet spot. It's underexplored and there is a great deal of opportunity in this country for us to pursue. And is the um, is the kind of the, the ownership structure likely to be the the kind of fifty percent owned by government? Is 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 that what you're kind of ultimately going to be heading towards? What's the name of the other um, Zimbabwean gold producing company? No, so say so, so they don't have those sorts of rules anymore. There there was um, an attempt at indigenisation, and again, this is this is part of Zimbabwe's challenge, as far as I can see. I've spent a lot of time on the ground here over the last year, and just from my personal experience, there's a lot that we think we know about Zimbabwe back home from where we've been influenced by the media and by the statistics. If you actually come and spend time in this country, the reality on the ground is very, very different. It's certainly a very challenging environment to operate in. We're under no illusions. This is why I'm planning on moving here full-time from January. We need to have strong leadership on the ground. But the ownership structure in this country, it's, um, it's actually fascinating. So they have a historic legacy of what they call gold claims. These are 10 hectare blocks and the original idea of, of, um, of this was pre-independence of these gold claims was it was to give ordinary people the opportunity to peg a gold claim and then mine it themselves. Now, these gold claims are still in existence today and people are, are mining from these individual claims. The trick is, or the challenge at the moment, is to find enough of these claims that have been stitched together in a contiguous block, potentially on top of an ore body, that lends itself towards bulk mining. So that's what we're looking for. We've got a very specific profile of project that we're looking for. The situation in Zimbabwe is also complicated by what they call EPOs, which are exclusive permitting orders. Now, these are like a more widespread prospecting license, similar to what we could have in Zimbabwe. Now, the EPO situation in Zimbabwe is fairly obscure. There's quite a lot of uncertainty. There are a lot of EPOs that have been pegged. But the actual process itself, a bit of work is needed to bring it up to a level that would enable international firms to come and start working with more of these EPOs. So what Cavango is looking for are gold claims that are stitched together in contiguous blocks that have security of tenure, so sort of ownership dating back 20 plus years, and have the potential for hosting untested bulk mineable um, opportunities. So really the a measure of success, you know, over the course of the next year will be indications of continuous gold mineralization at surface in the first instance through geochemistry and probably trenching. Because, you know, what you're looking for is a bulk tonnage. You'll be looking for some kind of width and strike extent at the surface and then probably moving into drilling at a later stage. Is that kind of a fair approach to how you'd be measuring success? We're actually, we've hit the ground much harder and much faster than that. This is this is not an environment to hang around in. So we're actually mobilizing our first drill rig as we speak. We're getting it over the border from South Africa. We signed our first option less than three months ago, Merlin, and we're due to start drilling on October the 9th. So we're getting straight into diamond drilling. I, I talked a little earlier about all the work that Steve has done over the last 15 years. What Steve and the local artisanal and small-scale contract miners have done for us is a lot of the scouting. We can see where the gold is because these guys are not pulling, you know, all that tonnage out of the ground for their health. You know, they're using old technology, they're using handpicks essentially. So we know where the high-grade gold is. In turn, what that's showing us is where we believe the reefs are. And then what we're looking to do is to drill to test what occurs between those reefs. 
hasn't been done before in the projects that we're looking at. So we're moving immediately into drilling in about two weeks' time. Okay, good, 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 good. That'll be uh, providing an interesting kind of suite of uh, um, news releases, which will be interesting to keep uh, uh, an eye on. Um, jumping to uh, Botswana now, um, I can't help, you, um, you know, when I look back through your news releases, one of the things um, you've done is you've focused on the on the Karakubis project area, having spent quite a lot of time and effort on the um, Kalahari Sutra Zone um, um, project. And in one of your um, CEO statements, you've said, we've learned valuable lessons. Um, I think it was on the back of um, uh, hole number three, which was 606 meters long, but didn't kind of give much uh, by way of grade, but it was drilling a, a geophysics anomaly. Could you tell me what those lessons are? You know, what, 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 how, what have you learned from that exercise? Well, I think the primary lesson that we've learned is that we need some success. We need some geological success. We need to demonstrate to the market that our team can actually find metal. I think with the Kalahari Suture Zone project, um, it's by no means dead. Uh, we are looking at a number of options for what we can do to resuscitate this next year. Um, but what we've recognised that in terms of our budgets and the, the financing that we now have behind us, we've had to take a look at our portfolio and be very honest with ourselves about where we think we can deliver um, success in the nearer term. When Kavango originally listed back in 20, 2018, it was on the basis of the Kalahari Suture Zone that did attract a lot of shareholders and a lot of interest in. So we've given that project our best go and there is still plenty to go out within that project area. But the reality is, it's a very expensive, extremely high-risk form of exploration. It was that recognition that was sort of behind part of the rationale why we came into Zimbabwe in the first place. So we're in Botswana. We've got an extremely stable jurisdiction with a long established track record of commercial transactions taking place unimpeded. In Zimbabwe, the jurisdiction is much riskier. It's a much more challenging environment to work in. However, in Botswana, because of the presence of these Kalahari sands where the geology is obscured from view and a lot of exploration methods just simply don't work in pots because of the amounts of cover, the exploration terrain there is much riskier. In Zimbabwe, we've got the metal at surface. We've got the metal at surface being dug up economically, which is what's keeping this country going. There are no form of capital markets in Zimbabwe at the moment. Everything that's happening in Bulawayo, the town that I'm in at the moment, which really is quite surprising to visitors when you actually visit this town, just quite how much economic activity there is and signs of a growing, developing middle class, the cars that you see on the streets, the products that you see in the shops, the restaurants that you see, you know, full of people who are you know, out entertaining. Um, there really is a lot happening here that I think a lot of people would be very surprised about. And that has largely all stemmed from the gold that's being pulled out of the ground by hand. So where I think one of the main lessons that we've learned, Merlin, is that we've got to get some some runs on the board now. So our, so our focus over the next 18 months in Botswana, we're looking to develop our projects that we might be able then to sell them. In Zimbabwe, we're looking for projects that we can take through exploration into mining ourselves. So it's a slightly different strategy, but again, based on our experience to date in bots. Thank you. I mean, it's it's, it's interesting that you say you can develop the projects in Botswana potentially to, to sell, or um, presumably in, in that mix, there's um, kind of partnership. If you've got good land tenure and you can get a carried position, there's a kind of strategic approach that you uh, could look at there. Yes. Um, but in order, in order to do that, you've got to... Um, improve them you know advance them make them sexier get more data get more information get some i think the phrase you used was runs on the board um show that the team can hit metal um 
Dave's been sitting there um, very patiently and very quietly. What's different about Karakubis? Um, surely it's still difficult exploration. There's still sand cover, and you're still reliant on geophysics. You know what's 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 different about Karakubis to the uh, the, the Kalahari Suture Zone. Uh, I think essentially the Kalahari Suture Zone was always a very good conceptual target. The problem is it's going to be deep and geophysically led. So even if you find targets, when you come to drill them, you're looking at very deep holes. And you can burn through a, a lot of money on a deep drilling program and not get to, to where you need to get to. So when we were talking to Ben, we looked at the rationale of how much money you were spending on drilling the, in case KSZ versus for the same amount of money, you could drill a lot more holes uh, on the KCB. And believe it or not, there are areas within Botswana where the sand cover isn't that thick. And traditionally, most of the exploration work has been done north along the belt around Kumatau Zone 5, where DML used to operate. And it, it branched down towards the southwest and had a lot of success with Samfire's discovery of Mateo. But if you go further southwest along the belt, there are areas with sand and areas without sand. And one of the things that we've managed to do with Kavango is they've consolidated not only their own land, but they've now done this uh, deal with ENIG Elements and con consolidated a much bigger package of land, which gives us a, a large target area to work on. And interestingly enough, the, the sand cover there is only a few metres with maybe 10 to 15 metres of calcrete, and it's directly a long strike from Sandfire's Mateo deposit. When we've done initial sample recovery and mapping in the field and mapping of water borehole chips, we've compiled uh, quite a detailed map now that we actually believe confirms the geophysical interpretation that we've done that contradicts some of the original mapping done in the, the 80s and 90s by the Botswana Geological Survey. So we feel we've identified certain stratigraphy that is normally conducive to hosting mineralization that's directly along strike from Sandfire. So, so here's the, the, the two phase of stroke. We want to try and, and develop that target into something. And if we can actually prove there's metal in the ground, because we've now got a larger tenement package, it will make it a lot more interesting to either Sandfire or another player. Because as we've seen with the, the recent acquisition of Kumatau, there's an awful lot of interest out there. It started off with maybe two big players uh, putting in a bid for, for Kumatau, and at one stage it was up to 30 people, 30 companies. So we, we don't feel that uh, we're out of the park here. It, it's very good ground. We've managed to consolidate not only our land package, but with another land package. They're both directly along stride from Mateo, We've historically there was some drilling work done by ENRG. We've also been mapping the drill chips and we've managed to find pathfinder metals. We've actually intersected pyrite, little bits of chalcopyrite, galena, sphalerite. The, the, the lithologies that we're drilling are consistent with the lower Dakar, which is associated with most of the mineralization along the belt. So we feel that we're in a very confident position to, to find something within that new land package. 
And at the moment, we're compiling a whole set of new maps, which we'll be publishing in due course. And I think once the market sees the, the new mapping and the prospectivity that we've got, I, I think it'll it'll add a lot of value to what we're trying to do. Did the uh, did the IP survey that you started uh, in late July, did that help? Yes, it has. Uh, one of the problems you still have in Botswana is that uh, unless the mineralization comes to surface like it does at Zone 5, where well, it's, it's underneath sand, but it interacts with the, the overburden, if you're looking for something like Sandfire have, then you're looking for something that's a, a little bit harder to find because the mineralization actually isn't exposed. It's all hidden or occluded. So the only way to find those, even at shallow depth, is with geophysics. And we've learned from some of the geophysics that Sandfire have done and that we've replicated. And also with the ground, so we've done airborne AEM, we've done airborne magnetics. We've also done some airborne gravity and they've they've highlighted the same sorts of structural targets and trap sites where we we feel are favorable for hosting mineralization so by doing the ip surveys it's to try and raise um, our ability to pick which trap site structures are going to host sulfide mineralization versus which ones are mainly hosting hydrothermal alteration but not actually sulfide metals so, so that's why we did the IP survey. Uh, so, if I understand it correctly, you've done the kind of the regional survey to give you the kind of the um, the architecture of the uh, of the folds and the structure uh, to give you some potential target areas, and you've done a little bit of kind of um, resolution work through the through the IP to better understand the nature of those kind of uh, to rank those. Um, the, those preferential areas and does that mean that what happens next is uh the drill phase is uh, i i mean are you ready for drilling or is there more veteran to do the, the, well it's a two, two stage process you see we we think we've got far enough on some of the smaller areas because we we as you quite rightly say we were doing orientation work we wanted to make sure that the geochemistry and the ip were telling us the same thing now that we know that's working, we, we need to carry that out over the larger group area that we've now consolidated. But at the same time, we're confident enough that the work we've done will put us into something fairly soon. So the stage is set now. We want to try and get to drilling on some of the detailed areas in Q1 next year. While we, we bring up the other uh, the rest of the licensed tenement area up to the same level of detail once we get that up to the same level of detail as where we are on the orientation then we'll expand drilling there and we hope to be doing drilling there q2 q3 next year okay but you've got to do the geophysics first on those areas this all sounds really exciting but also quite expensive um um ben you've just announced a financing this morning um in june you talked about in june you talked about doing a four points um no in june you did a 1.4 million um pound uh capital raise uh you also spoke about doing a 4.6 investment with pure bond and then today you announced that um you're you're putting out the papers to to kind of to go ahead with the capital raise with the whitewash so that presumably that includes the pure bond group as a 
or A and other strategic as a potential kind of major shareholder going forward. Could you just talk about the financing plans, please, and the current balance sheet and the current makeup of the shareholder um, register? So the the whitewash is for the pure bond investment. You're correct. Um, assuming that shareholders vote in favour and support the um, the the whitewash proposal, uh, the prospectus will then complete uh, a week after, and pure bond will become 52 percent shareholders in Cavango. Now. Um, we've obviously gone through a very lengthy, um, really quite rigorous, very difficult process with the takeover panel, uh, making sure, you know, going through sort of various issues relating to concert parties and, and they, they really have done a very, very thorough job. So Pure Bond has indicated their um, very strong support for the company. They've also indicated um, that if, well, assuming that we're successful and we do a good job with their money now, they are there in the background to continue supporting the company financially. Now, we also have some other opportunities that we're looking at for direct um, project financing, so financing at the project level, both um, locally in Botswana and also locally in Zimbabwe. This is something that I've been working on um, over the last eight months. So we have a lot of options that are open to us. I think one of the things that set Kavango apart from a lot of our competitors is a lot of our peers tend to rely on the traditional broker-led uh, placing and to my mind that model is broken at the moment in this market with liquidity as it is it's near impossible companies are gasping to raise money so we've taken a very different approach where we've actually gone out directly to engage in, with investors ourselves and this was how we were able to attract pure bond in because if you look at Cavango on paper in one way you can see the company has spent quite a lot of money on its exploration to date and hasn't found anything yet but despite that, what we have done is we've continuously strengthened our team. We've improved our knowledge and our understanding of the markets. We've taken quite a bold step coming into Zimbabwe as well. So there is a lot that's happening within this business. We just haven't yet made that crucial discovery. So I'm very confident um, in the relationship with Pure Bond. They've been extremely supportive through this really quite torturous at times process getting the financing up to this stage you know we've had to ask them a lot of questions and you know these are very busy guys they're worth who, several who, who are no, who is pure bond so it's the consagra family um the consagra family are is a family of ultra high net worths with uh, a variety of different business interests a lot of which are in africa um they, they've been involved in some mining projects in the past um but only on a on a fairly loose basis they were introduced through Peter Winterby, um, who's a director, our director who joined us last December, and they've been extremely supportive of the company. I mean, we've we've we found ourselves in an incredibly fortunate and privileged position, having having the backing of of, of Bulo and and his family behind us. Their thesis is that they're going to let you run it. Are they going to have um, board, um, um, control of the board? Presumably, I mean, they've got control of the company. Um, and the, what have they tasked you with to find gold in Zimbabwe and copper in Botswana? I mean, is, is, is that the plan? So that's the plan that we presented to them. Um, we have an agreement in place with the consagras. They're not seeking any um, board representation. So we have um, um, essentially a, a letter of understanding between the consagras and the company. It's released as part of the circular, which describes the, the relationship. Everything that they've told us so far, they're treating this as an investment. They have a very large portfolio, a very varied portfolio of different investments that they've made. This is quite a big one for them, um, but by no means the largest. So they aren't seeking managerial control. They bought into the company and the business that we're building. Obviously, that will bring with it an extra degree of pressure to us. We know that we have to perform. 
Um, but they're also extremely supportive of Peter. So we know that they, they are strong believers in Peter. And the fact that Peter joined our, our board last December, I think that ultimately was, was, was a deciding factor that increased their interest in the company, which led to the discussions we had in Q, Q1, Q2 this year, which in turn led to the financing. Does that mean that if this closes in the next couple of weeks, you will have uh, about £5 million um, of treasury? Slightly more than that, yeah. And so that's enough to fund the work programs you've got in Botswana and um, Zimbabwe for yeah, um, 2024. So this is all detailed in the prospectus. Um, so yes, it is. Uh, now, of course, as you know, Merlin, with any of these programs, if there is an opportunity to accelerate, so for example, if we hit um, good grades at our first drill campaign at our hillside project in Zimbabwe, that might change things. If we hit good grades in our Kalahari copper belt drilling, that would actually be starting in, we're aiming to start in Q1 next year. And then that could um, that could certainly hit, um, you know, that could, that could change things. So obviously we'll be led by results from the field. But in terms of our plan as it stands today, yes, it does. Um, well, Ben, Dave, thank you very much for your time. Um, good luck with closing the the deal. Good luck with um, those dr- that drilling in um, uh, in Hillside. Uh, and I look forward to seeing what the, uh, the the new year brings in terms of geophysical results and drilling uh, in. Um, Uh, Karakubis as well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us.